Um, so I, I've got one of these brains that loves things that are symmetrical. I, I like things in order. I like things that that have clear, defined spaces. Anybody ever watch the TV show Monk? I do not think he's unusual. <laughs> Hang on, this computer's just a little off. Okay, now, <clears throat> y'all are a little distributed unevenly. I need two people from this section to go over there. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. I, I've got that, I've got to fight that tendency within me. I don't know about you, but, okay, I, I'm, this is way too much information, y'all. I mean, you, you've known I was a weird duck for a long time, so just write this off. I have noticed lately, I tend to fidget. And this is one of the fidgetings I do. I will take my index finger and my thumb, and I will, like, draw a circle around my thumb. But if I do that, I have to go backwards and do it backwards. I, I, can't, I can't, like, say... Oh, great, I'm fidgeting. I'm doing that again with my finger and thumb. I need to quit. Okay, well, first let me go back and make sure it's evened out. And so I'm really trying to break myself of that habit. I'm trying to say, no, I'm not going to go back and make sure it's evened out. But even within that, I think, okay, well, let me finish this circle first. It's, it's this strangeness in my brain. Because of this strangeness in my brain, I really am juiced about something we find in the Bible because it feeds that mirroring in my mind where I like things to be equal on both sides of the, the, the coin. So we've spent a number of weeks talking about how in the Old Testament, God spoke in ways that drew attention to Jesus. Before Jesus is ever incarnated, we have in the Old Testament God showing pictures and giving prophecies and giving stories and giving analogies and giving metaphors that all spoke prophetically about the coming Yeshua Messiah. Now, Jesus comes and we're on the flip side of that. And the really cool thing about it is, Jesus is then, in a reciprocal way, Jesus is showing us who God the Father is in the Old Testament. So God the Father in the Old Testament tells us who Jesus will be. Jesus in the New Testament tells us who God the Father in the Old Testament is. It's the flip-flop of the other side of the coin. You can see it in John, as John wrote about Jesus, or recorded some of the events of, of Jesus' life. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is speaking to some different people. And he says... You search the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And he's talking about the Old Testament. The, the, the New Testament had not been written at the time Jesus is alive. 
It's written after his death. Most of it a substantial bit after his death. And by that I mean 10, 15, 20 years later. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me. He says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The life's not in the scriptures. The life is in the one the scriptures attest to. The life is in the one whose scripture is about. The life is in Jesus. So Jesus says, in the Old Testament, what you're reading about is me. And I'm the source of the life, not the words on the page. So that's the Old Testament. And yet... Jesus then says, just uh, in John, records it a few chapters later. In John 12, starting in verse 44, Jesus says, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. So you see, the, the Old Testament is speaking about the life that we'll have in Jesus. It explains the death we have in sin. It explains the corruption. It shows graphic and visual stories in history of the evils and atrocities of humanity. It shows wretched things. It shows people treating people like chattel and garbage. It shows uh, uh, wars and conquests. It shows envy and dissension and greed. It shows grabbing for things. It shows all the detestable byproducts of sin. But it speaks about a life that's going to be coming in one who is going to be a victor over sin. So that sin and its byproducts do not carry any weight anymore. They do not have authority. They cannot control us. And they are not our destiny. And that is the one who's coming. So now we have Jesus. And Jesus comes. But Jesus says, when you see me... You are, you are seeing God of the Old Testament. I'm not only the answer, I'm the God. So you see me, you see God. If you want to understand God fully, well, you won't. God's beyond our ability to understand fully. But if you want to understand God more fully than you do, Simply by reading the Old Testament, read of Jesus. Jesus comes when the time is right to show God in great detail to us. And that's what we have. So what I'd like to do, especially during the summer months, some, and while I'm in trial, is take some devotionals from the life of Jesus that give us a greater understanding of who God is. Because that will transform our lives. 
When we see God in his glory and his magnificence, in his holiness, in his purity, in his love, in his mercy, we see something. We see something that we can aspire to, but we see something and someone who will change our life. So that's the goal. So this morning, I've got, I don't know, five, six devotionals. I want to go through them timely because the last one's got like three songs in it. And I'm into songs right now. Some of you, I met uh, three young ladies this morning who are college students, uh, um, uh, some of y'all know Robert and Kathy Kosick, used to be members of our class when they were here. Uh, two of their daughters and a friend of mine uh, from Lubbock, Greg Garrett, his daughter, uh, Hope, and they're, they're here this morning. And, and I want to tell them, and I want to tell anybody in a young age group, if you don't understand the music we grew up with, you don't understand music. <laughs> Look. I've got Drake on my playlist, okay? I can handle new stuff. I like that too. I'm just telling you, if you don't get our music, you're missing. So you especially, I feel like we have an obligation to the next generation to play a couple of these songs I've got coming up. So let's get started so that we can get to them. First devotional, seek God. Seek God. Matthew 5, 1 and 2. Here's your passage. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the pop, 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 pop. And we'll look at some of the Beatitudes in a moment. But yeah, the pop, 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 pop. But... Before we go to the Beatitudes, Matthew spends two big verses telling us something. I want you to see the setup. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So I was having coffee. Actually, I hate coffee. I was having a diet Dr. Pepper while my buddy had coffee. I was having a um, coffee slash diet Dr. Pepper with a friend of mine, an elderly gentleman who I think life, most people would say, has resulted in him being successful. He's got a wonderful family, a great church. He loves the Lord. He's got friends that go back 50, 60 years, long friendships. He seems reasonably stable with his health and his finances, in his relationships and his marriage. You look at him and you, you say, you are blessed. And I asked him, I said, Skip, what is the secret to your success? And as we sat there, he said to me, seize 
the opportunities that God puts before you. He said, I was told that early in life and I've tried to do that. I've tried prayerfully and carefully to seize those opportunities God gives me. And he said, it's been fantastic. He said, I I don't have many regrets. I've got a few, but not many. And and in the process of that, I really liked it. I, I liked the idea because, look, his disciples came to him. Jesus goes up on the mountain. His disciples could have just gone on their merry way. But they came to Jesus to learn from Jesus. And I think that's profound. I think Matthew puts it in there for a reason. I think Matthew wants us to say, are we coming to Jesus to learn from him? Are we looking for the blessings that God has for us in this life? I mean, it's easy to just roll through life. Thank God for the food. Thank God for air conditioning. Thank God for a job. Pray to God if you don't have one. It's easy to just roll through life. But we need our eyes open looking for the blessings of God. And when those blessings appear, we should never let fear or a lack of faith hold us back from seizing God's opportunities. You think, I can't do that. Don't worry about it. If it's God's opportunities, He wants to do it through you. If you could do it on your own, wouldn't matter. So, so there's this concept that's, that's very there in Scripture. Now, you've got to be careful. Because sometimes people think God's opportunities are what really is just what they want. And they rewrite it where, hey, since I want this, surely God wants me to have it. Or how else would it be here? Well, I want to suggest to you a couple of things on a to-do list, okay? This is my to-do list from this passage. Number one, each day I'm going to open the Word of God. Each day I'm going to read something in Scripture. I'm going to come to Jesus so I can be taught. Teach me, Lord. Then when I read the word, I'm going to try to read it prayerfully. I'm going to pray as I read. Lord, help me understand what this means. And help me figure out how to apply it to my life. Inspire me. Give me your spirit to teach me. To counsel me. To help me understand what you can say to me through this word and what you are saying to me through this word. And then as I do that, as I open the word and as I read it prayerfully, I'm going to do what I learn. If, if I learn something in scripture, something that I need to be doing or something that I should be doing, I'm going to do it. I'm going to engage my faith I'm going to engage my trust and I'm going to obey. Now, is everything going to work out the way I see it? No. God has plans that are far beyond my own. And God's able to do things that I don't see. And what I want to be the answer is not always the answer. And God may lead me down roads that 
are more twisted and contorted and dangerous than I would have picked on my own. But that's okay if I'm following him and I'm leading him. If I'm trusting in the Lord with all of my heart, then I know he's going to make the path straight when all is said and done. Okay, that's the first one. Now, if you fell asleep, wake up. Give the second one a shot. Okay, here's your second one. Jesus sat down and he started teaching. And I want to ask you this question as we look at Matthew 5, 3. What makes life fortunate, happy? Okay. Okay, I can't argue that. Miss Carolyn said putting God first in everything. Can't argue that. But I want you to see a passage here. Because this is a passage almost of opposites. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When Luke gives this, he just says the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, your Greek lesson for the day. Everybody needs some Greek every day. It makes life worth living. And when I say you need some Greek today, I'm not just talking about a gyro sandwich. I'm talking about the language. What's your Greek for the day? It's a word, makarios. So say, makarios. Oh, come on. Makarios. Do you know what you just said? You just said, Blessed. It means fortunate. It means happy. It means a whole range of things in our English language. Blessed, happy, fortunate are the poor in spirit. Tokos is poor, means... Um, Poor. It means like these aren't pockets that turn out much, but I ain't got nothing in them. I'm flat broke. Got, I'd, I'd show you my billfold, but I ain't even got one. I got nothing. I borrowed this coat. That's poor. Tokos. Blessed is the person who's got nothing. How can you be happy and fortunate, fortunate, with no fortune? Jesus said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because here's what happens. If you're fortunate and happy in this world, with the resources you have in this life, Who needs to turn to God? It's when this life isn't meeting the needs. It's when this life leaves you impoverished. When your heart is destroyed. Poor in spirit is being down in heart in modern day language. When your heart is heavy. When you're down and out, 
You can be fortunate and you can be happy because you can turn to God who will rescue you. You get the kingdom of heaven. You get the king of kings. You get the Lord of lords. You get the creator of the universe. You get the sustainer of the universe. You get the provider. You get the healer of your soul. You will have no choice but to either live in your misery or turn to the one who will bring you joy and happiness and fortunateness. That's what makes life fortunate and happy is knowing to whom you should turn for your happiness and your joy. And you may not have much money. And you may not have many friends. And you may be in a place and time in your life where you may not have health. Or you may not have a job. But if you are seeking the Lord with all of your might... You will have a peace that passes understanding. You will have joy because you'll know even if mourning lasts for a night. Mourning, M-O-U-R-N. Mourning lasts for a night. Joy cometh in the morning. There is a season and a time for everything. And when you entrust yourself to the king of kings, you know in the right time and in the right season, the rose will bloom. All right. Matthew 5, 5. What else makes life fortunate and happy? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, meek, that's a weird word. It's not a common word. Honestly, let's just have a show of hands. I want you to think, and I want you to intelligently raise your hand. How many of you, not quoting this scripture, that doesn't count. How many of you just in casual, non-biblical conversation this week used the word meek? Raise your hand. We've got 650 people here. I'm looking for one hand. I ain't got none. Wait, I do? Ah, one. One out of 650. Two? Okay, two out of 650. We're now at 0.3%. Now, just within the framework of this, it tells you it's not a commonly used word. And when we do use it, I think many people have a tendency to think of timid, shy, standoffish, kind of like wishy-washy maybe, or a little, I don't know the right word, kind of, kind of you know, soggy <laughs> in personality. He had a very soggy personality. That could be like the start of a book. Um, that's not the Greek word for meek. 
The Greek word for meek, meek is praeus. Praeus. Now, praeus means a lot of different things. We can translate it meek. You'll find it translated gentle. But I want to tell you the story of two people in the Bible who were meek. Let me tell you two different stories. Now, here, see, you understand me so much better now just from this introduction. I've got one example from the Old Testament. I've got one example from the New Testament. We're going to keep this nice and balanced. We've got two examples of meek. Let me tell you about these two meek fellas. This one fellow was real meek. Oh, I don't mean by that he was weak. He was a very strong fellow physically. He was smart. He was intelligent. Well-trained. He uh, uh, had a heart for the Lord. He was a hard worker. He was able to stand up before one of the most powerful people in the world. And even though he didn't like to speak, it wasn't his natural gift. He was able to stand up and speak boldly to one who had more power than President Trump. He was able to stand up and not only speak boldly, to put, but to pronounce judgment. To challenge this leader, this ruler. He was able to not only challenge him, but to call down God's condemnation and judgment on him. He was able to lead people. He was able to judge and make decisions among disputes. He was able to intervene before the Lord when God's righteous anger burned hot. The man was Moses. And in Numbers 12 we read that Moses was very meek. More than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Meek? His baseline was gentle. But that doesn't mean that there weren't times where he needed to stand up. And he needed to say things. That may have been outside of his comfort zone, but were right before the Lord. Doesn't mean that there weren't times where he didn't stand up in indignity on behalf of God. It doesn't mean that there weren't times where he didn't announce the judgment of God. Meek is not soggy. Let me tell you about another fellow from the New Testament. This fellow was also a kind and gentle soul. But he had... An ability to captivate audiences that is very rare. He had an ability to teach that in some ways has been unequaled. He had an ability to, 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 to speak into people's lives in ways where they were immediately cut to the quick. He had an ability to show a love that, that galvanized a loyalty He had times where he burned hot with God's righteous indignation. And people who were unfair to other people. 
at injustice, at greed, that, that, at fake religion, at people who used religion as some means to a, a personal selfish end. But Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty nine tells us, was meek and lowly in heart. His baseline was gentleness. So I put a witness on the stand Wednesday late in the day, all day Thursday, and he finished up yesterday, uh, Friday, around lunch in St. Louis. And afterwards, we were heading back, and I said, Bill, you, you, you did a great job. Thank you for coming in, and thank you for testifying and, and putting up with me and putting up with the other side. I really appreciate it. And he says, you know, he said, I didn't used to have any room for God in my life. He said, but I'm, I'm, I'm really changing my spiritual focus here in my 60s. He says, one of the things I've just realized I've got to come to grips with is my anger. And he said, so I've been trying to learn some things and I've been trying to grow spiritually to help me with my anger. He said, things that that other fellow said to me used to would have made me very angry. He said, but I've got these techniques now. And I laughed and I said, like what? And he said, I look at the clock and I think, I'm not going to be angry for the next five minutes. He said, and then five minutes later, I look at the clock and think, I'm not going to be angry for the next five minutes. Then anytime something happens that makes me angry, I just look at the clock and think, I'm not going to be angry for the next five minutes. I said, how's it working? He said, well, it worked today. I said, hey, five minutes at a time, whatever it takes, brother. You know, if you want a fortunate and happy life, Jesus says your baseline needs to be one of gentleness, kindness, meekness. Doesn't mean there aren't times where in the name of God you don't react in a way that is God-driven. But it's always one that is under the Spirit's control. Don't ever use that as a cop-out for losing track of who you are. Now you may say, well, look, this is just the way I am. I've got anger issues. Okay, fine. We've all got issues of different kinds. And all of us need to work on our issues. But part of working on our issues is recognizing the teachings of Jesus. You will be more fortunate and your life will be happier. As you learn and as I learn to grow in that baseline of kindness and gentleness. Paul in Galatians said, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Now think about those words. Those Paul calls fruit of the Spirit. Have anybody ever seen fruit grow? Anybody ever have grow strawberries, grow uh, apples, grow any kind of fruit, tomatoes? You know, you don't go out to your garden 
the tomatoes are coming in right now. And um, uh, I don't have a red pen. I need a red pen for a tomato. But the tomatoes are coming in right now. And I've, I've watched tomatoes grow all my life. I think we had our first garden where I planted tomatoes when I lived in Abilene, Texas. So I was four. I hadn't started school yet. So I noticed this from the beginning. I've never in my entire life seen a tomato start with its skin full size. And then you wait to pick it till the middle grows. No. They start small and they grow bigger. And they grow from the inside out. And that's the nature of fruit. Fruit grows, doesn't start out full size, it grows from the inside out. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It grows and it grows from the inside out. Align our hearts with God. Spend time in His presence. Seek Him out. Study His Word. Prayerfully try to diligently apply it. And you may have anger issues. But they will be less a year from now than they are today. I don't care if you're in your 60s, your 20s, your teens, or your 90s. That's the way it works. And that will make life fortunate and happy. Okay, we've got to keep going. We've got to have time for the songs. Blessed are the merciful. Happy, fortunate are the merciful. Because they're going to receive mercy. Now the brain is a funny thing. I've got... Yeah, I've probably got rocks in my head too. But I've got a brain in here, I hope. I think all of you do. A couple of airheads, not many. All of us have these brains. But they're goofy. Have you ever noticed how you can think one thing, yet do another? Am I alone in that regard? Sometimes I can think one thing and do another. Let me just take a, a silly example. Food. That's not healthy. Would you supersize it, please? <laughs> um, water is really good for the body. I'll have one of them diet drinks with all those fake ingredients that nobody knows really what are and what they do to the body. Thank you. Uh, jumbo size. I mean, we can think one thing and we can do another. Now, I've used a pretty silly example, but I'm sure in our lives we've all got other examples that aren't so silly that are a lot more significant. In the grand scheme of things. This is one of those. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. It's very easy to have mercy at certain times. 
When we're confronted with a situation that just cries out for sympathy and pity and our life is going pretty good, it's easy to be moved and to have times of, and, 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 and to be merciful. But somehow our brain short circuits when we're under stress. Somehow when, when we're under stress, when our life is in turmoil, when we're worried and concerned, when we're not having a lot of sleep or when we're not, you know, in, in, in good health, whatever it may be, there are times where our brain short circuits and we're not really moved to mercy. We're too busy looking at ourselves. Maslow, Abraham Maslow was a psychologist in the, uh, became prominent in the 1950s because he proposed this theory of things. Dr. Bob, a psychologist, and I have talked about this a lot because of how it works in our trials. But it's uh, Maslow's M-A-S-L-O-W, hierarchy of needs. And what Maslow said is, there are certain things that we focus on because they're more fundamental needs. So like that very bottom layer, the greatest need we've got are things like oxygen, You know, we've got other things. One of the top levels of needs that's, that's just way up at the top is um, uh, like up here is I don't, I don't have, look, I wasn't planning on saying this this morning, so this is not like ready recall, okay? It may not be the very top, in other words, but sort of moving up there is things like um, artistic expression, self-actualization, Things like that. Um, artistic expression. And before you get there, though, you got these other needs. You got food. You got safety, security. That's a big need. Things like that. In other words, if you're drowning in the ocean and you don't have oxygen, and you're fighting desperately to get a breath so that you can live, generally, you don't think, I really like Vincent Van Gogh's Starry, Starry Night. <laughs> Have you noticed that the lights are out in the church in that painting? I wonder what Vincent was trying to say. Okay, You just don't. You're like, I gotta breathe, I gotta breathe, I gotta breathe. So maybe it's somewhere on there that, that things trigger and we're so concerned about ourselves that we're not so quick to give mercy. But I want to tell you something. Jesus wasn't joking when he said, blessed are the merciful for they'll receive mercy. That needs to be part of who we are. Let's just compare two different passages of the Bible, okay? Compare Psalm 119, 156 with Proverbs 21, 10. Psalm 119, 156. Psalm 119, 156. Six. Here we go. Great is your mercy, Yahweh. 
Great is your mercy. God is a merciful God. You read it over and over in the Old Testament. A God of mercy. That's a godly trait. Compare it to Proverbs 21.10. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. God is merciful. The evil and the wicked are not. And when you put it that way, I don't care what my brain's thinking. I want to be someone of mercy. I want to show mercy. I want to be godly. I want to have mercy. Uh, he wronged me. I want to show mercy. This is an important thing to do. So if we go back to the PowerPoint, here are my to-dos. My to-dos for this are pretty simple. Number one. I want to prayerfully, prayerfully think about being merciful. I want to consider what it means. I want to be prayerful and thoughtful. God, help me to have mercy. I don't mean expose. You know, look, if there's someone in your life who abuses you, you don't expose yourself to that. You remove yourself from that. But the grudge that can follow such abuse is grudge that becomes an anchor to you. So while you remove yourself from the abuse, you're still a person who tries to pray, who tries to become better than the normal person who would not have mercy. Look, there are some people in my life who, I'll be honest with you, I don't like the, what they've done to me, and I don't like how they've treated me. And there's part of me that recognizes, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but I just want to say yes, and I am the hand of the Lord. So I'm going to go get vengeance. <laughs> but I need, I need to learn to have mercy. Now, having mercy does not mean putting myself in a position to be abused. It does not mean... Feeding the abuser. But it does mean praying for my enemies. And it does mean seeking God on their behalf. And praying that he might change who they are. It's just part of this merciful heart. So I want to prayerfully think about what it means to be merciful. And then I want to spend time in deliberate, deliberate worship. I want to spend time before the Lord in deliberate worship. Let me tell you what I mean by deliberate worship. There is worship, and, and Brent, what a great lesson he taught last week on worship. Uh, he emailed me a, a copy of it, and it was so much, such a blessing to me to get to read. Um, um, there are different ways we worship, as Brent talked about last week. But if you look at those ways of worship, what the, the, the root words, the, the Hebrew for, for bowing in worship, hishtachavu, the, the Greek, proskuneo, those words that, that talk about basically falling flat face before the Lord are all words that are based in the idea that we are encountering God. 
You ascribe worth to God. You worship God when you encounter Him, whether it's in a service or whether it's in your life. And as you realize who God is and you encounter Him and you ascribe worth to Him, you will grow in mercy because we become like the things we worship. Those things that we ascribe worth to are the things we try to become. None of us want to grow up and be dirtbags. We want to grow up and be valuable. We want to grow up and bless. We want to grow up and, and leave a good mark, not a bad. Who wants to be Adolf Hitler when they grow up? Nobody in their right mind. And there are sick people in the world. I understand that. I'm talking about normal people. We become like the things we worship. And actually even the sick people. You worship someone who's sick. You worship Adolf Hitler. You worship hatred. And you'll become a hateful person. But you worship God for who He is. And He is a God of mercy. And you're going to become a person of mercy. You say, well, I'm just not merciful. Worship the Lord. What are you listening to on the radio? Or, or in your, on your playlist? Get songs that move you to the Lord. What are you reading? Read things that move you to the Lord. We got a lady in this class who writes Christian fiction, Deanne Mills. Deanne, are you in class today? I got an email from Deanne. I don't know if she's here today or ah, right back there. Deanne Mills, stand up, Deanne. We're going to sell some of your books right now. Stand up. Okay, she, y'all don't realize this maybe. She gets awards. I mean, she like wins awards for her fiction. And so occasionally she'll email me and ask me some lawyer question because she wants to make sure that she gets it right in the book. I always tell her wrong so I can read the book and laugh. I'm just joking. I'm just joking, Deanne. I'm just joking. Told you right. Um, I think. <laughs> but you, you, what are you reading? Feed yourself with things that will grow what you want in your life. Well, I don't like to read that Christian fiction. Read hers, you will. It's good. What was the name of the last one that took place in Houston? Say loud. High treason. I mean, it's like it's like whodunits, spies and stuff. It's really good. There are different ways to feed. Okay, we got to go. Uh, give God some time with your life. Okay, last one. What? makes life fortunate and happy. Um, oh no, we don't have time for this. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You want to see God? You want to be, then be pure in heart. That's, that's how you see God. The, the Greek word orao, to see, orao means not just to see like, I see you, but also means to experience means to perceive God spiritually, emotionally, mentally, intellectually. It means to pay attention. Like, see here. See, that works with the Greek word too. In English, you can say, in Lubbock, you could say, uh, pay attention. Or you say, see here. That means pay attention. That's Greek. See, Lubbock's pretty tied into the Greek language. <laughs> There's this Greek word. S-Q-U-E-E-T. We'll be using it in a minute. It's squeet. 
It's what you do at lunchtime, squeat. Some people say, let's go eat. We just say, squeat. <laughs> Pay attention to God. That's what that word see means. You want to see God, you want to pay attention to God, you want to perceive Him, you want to experience Him, you want Him to be real in your life, you want Him to change who you are, then be pure in heart. Psalm 24, 3 through 6. Oh, it's one of my favorite psalms, the 24th psalm. I mean, everybody stops at like Psalm 23, like the funeral's over. Keep reading. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. The world and all who dwell within it because he's founded it upon the seas. He's established it upon the rivers. And then look at this passage. Who shall ascend? Let me get the passage up here. It's 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Purify my heart, O Lord. So that I might see God. If we can get our hearts purer, the purer our hearts become, the more we see God, we've got to roll. Okay, last one. Here it is. We've got to get some music in. We've got young people who are going to lose out in life if they don't hear these songs. What makes life fortunate and happy? Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called sons of God. I don't care if you like Donald Trump or not. I don't care if you like North Korea's dictator or not. We ought to be praying for them for their summit because we need peace. Everybody knows the need for peace. Everybody knows the need for peace. I mean, we have some incredible songs about it. I got three of them. Are you ready? Okay. See how many of these you know. If you don't know these songs, this is why you... You get an extra blessing at church. This is like freebies, okay? Here you go. Right? You remember that song? How many of you remember that song? Oh, yeah, okay. If for nothing else, the movie Rush Hour when Jackie Chan sings it. That's pretty good. How about this one? But for everyone. Amen. Okay, I got to throw in one more. And by the way, how many of y'all knew that song? Well, I knew Hank did. He was singing it full voice. <laughs> yeah, she's dancing next to him. Um, Okay, so I grew up in the Vietnam era, and every night on TV, I would watch it the, when school was over, and, and, and I would watch TV, and the news would come on, and they would say, today, you know, 113 Americans were killed, uh, 216 were, are missing in action. 
and it would flash on the screen and and it, it was serious serious times and and there there was the peace movement going on and and people marching and 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 it was a time of of national struggle what were we fighting for and was it worth it and all and this very profound album came out it's one of if i'm on a desert island this is one of the 10 albums i'm taking with me i'm just telling you right now it was a, a the first to my knowledge the first concept album with an, a, a whole theme and concept to really come out of the Motown uh, shop. Uh, and, and, and it was the first serious album by a, an artist who generally just sang schmaltzy, fun little love songs. But he, he wrote these songs and they're about, it's cast in the eyes of some fellow soldier who's come back from Vietnam. And if you don't know this song, this is one of them and it's just for about 30 seconds. We're almost done. The, we we're almost done, but listen to this. Hey, what's happening? Hey, how you doing? Mother, mother, there's too many of you crying. Too many mothers crying. Brother, brother, brother. There's far too many of you dying. Too many brothers dying. You know we've got to find a way. Gotta find a way. To bring some love in here today. To bring some love in here today. It's an amazing album, but it's an amazing concept. I mean, here's the bottom line. We know there's a need for love. We sing about the need for love. But hearing the songs and reading the beatitude are not sufficient unto themselves. We need something more. We need it to start with us. One of the things that breaks my heart, it breaks my heart that the people of God are known to many in this world as harsh and mean when we're people of love. Jesus tells us what the God of the Old Testament was. Jesus loves enough that he'll give his life. He'll even break bread with Judas knowing what Judas is about to do. He'll receive Judas's kiss. I... I... I Jesus said that they're going to know us by our fruits. We want to be peacemakers. It's going to start with us. It's going to start when we turn the other cheek. It's going to start when we show love, when we show compassion, when we show mercy, when we have these traits, when these things grow in us, when the rest of the world would be angry. Well, what good is it if we're just like the rest of the world? When the rest of the world is harsh and divides lines, whether it's on politic grounds, or race grounds, economic grounds, education grounds, or, or country borders. I'm not saying a blind love that's not responsible, but I am saying a heart of compassion and mercy and pity has got to be there for the children of God. And that's where it starts. And I'm not one of these, oh, let's lay down all of our weapons. And, and no, 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 I'm not. I'm not, gee, Donald Trump, go in and tell Kim Jong-un anything you want. You keep your little nukey nukes. No. 
I recognize that there is evil in the world that we must stand against and we must be prepared to stand against and we must stand firmly against. But in the process, our baseline needs to be one of love. And if the love's not coming through and if the love and the mercy and the the compassion and the kindness and the gentleness is not our baseline, then we're missing the God who wants to make not only us happy but wants to bless the world. And no one's going to be calling us sons of God. They're going to be calling us all sorts of other names. So that's my request for you. Uh, yeah, I say that and now I'm about to go back to war and kill people in uh, St. Louis in trial. So uh, for what it's worth. But I'm trying to do right with justice. We've got to have that baseline of compassion. We've got to have the heart of God. Can I bless you in the name of Jesus and we'll see you next week. Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you move our hearts captivate our minds, grab our spirits, teach us, grow us, transform us, empower us, give us focus on you. Give us your grace and your mercy and may we show it to this world. Through Jesus, our compassionate, merciful, loving, kind, gentle God, we pray. Amen.